Awesome date. March 9th, 2009. Awesome topic. It's totally full metal. And nothing to do with alchemy. But this is the Awesome Cast. Welcome back to the Awesome Cast. I'm Basil. I'm Lee. I'm Kevin. And that's us. Tonight's going to be a little bit disjointed. Uh, dis jointed. That's that'd be the word. Dis fucked up. Dis fucked up. Because we were planning on doing retro game challenge. However, our special guest for that particular episode had to work tonight, so he couldn't actually show up. So we mm. sort of pitched one in and our original plan was we're going to do a video game so we have all video game news and now we're doing an anime and we have no anime news new Massacre Z new Gundam that's anime though yes we know a little bit about the new Gundam but not we know it's going to be UC we know it exists (laughs) like it's it's for the 30th anniversary I still think they should have animated the unicorn novels but whatever I'd like to point out that one of the anniversaries did start off the uh G Gundam. Yeah. So it would have been kind of cool if they would have been, you know, maybe more G Gundam. Everyone liked it, right? This, well, right? we liked it. <laughs> this, this, this hand of mine is glowing with an awesome power. Right. Well, it is, but that's, um, oh, uh, yeah. Well, I guess speaking of anime, we are going to MTAC, the Metal Tennessee Anime Convention, in April, first weekend of April. It's going to be cool. I know we're going to be in the podcasting panel. Where I hear there's going to be special surprises. Hopefully my boss will approve the vacation time. They better, because the hotel is already booked. Yes, I will tell him that. <laughs> and your thing's already paid for. So, yes. we're going to be there. Whether Kevin's boss likes it or not. This will be great. Yes. Hopefully he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> ah, well. That's okay. If you listen to this, he probably doesn't know it's me, because he doesn't remember my own name half the time at work. He calls me Irving or something. Uh, <laughs> yeah, or best, right? I always hated Irving. <laughs> Ooh, I've got a little cowboy <laughs> Anyways, speaking of video games, we'll move on into the world of awesome. Okay, uh, this we got some, you know, news here. Why Capcom doesn't care if the Street Fighter movie sucks. You know, you've probably heard about the latest Street Fighter movie. You know, the... Legend of Chun-Li. Or, this time, it's Americanized without any actual Asians playing Chun-Li. Or the... The Avatar movie? Sort of. You know, it's it's the latest video game, steam pile of crap, that's not done by Uwe Boll. What, I thought... We bolded all the bad video game movies. Oh no, there are plenty of bad video game movies to go around. Including this one, but Capcom don't care. I haven't seen it personally, but the reviews and everybody I've talked to says it sucks. And Capcom doesn't care because, well to quote them, critics were unkind to the first Street Fighter movie as well, but that film has been ridiculously profitable for Capcom over the last decade. The original Street Fighter movie still generates millions of dollars in royalties for Capcom every year, thanks to cable, foreign distribution, home video, DVD, and Blu-ray sales. But the original one was so bad it was awesome. <laughs> I heard this one's just bad. Mm. You know, this this uh, this excerpt points out, but imagine how ridiculously profitable the last movie and the Cartman would it be if they were any good? <laughs> yes. Well, it's true. I would be much more likely to actually go see it. And they've also said it like released like eight at the box office, I think. Mm. It 
did really, really badly. Didn't even do as well as the uh, last Street Fighter movie did. So, maybe... Probably because, like me, most people barely noticed that it was existing. And when they found out the outstanding negatives, just disavowed all not reason to watch it. But I guess whatever cash Capcom gets, it's spare cash. Well, dear Capcom, screw you. Some of us like, you know... Our properties to be treated fairly and nicely, and as if I have property. Could we? Could they make a good movie from? I don't know. Well, I mean, they could try. They could try. I mean, you know, the Studio Four C, you know, anime movie ties that bind. That was sort of the prequel to the Street Fighter Four. That was a you know included on the collector's editions. It wasn't half bad. It was actually you know it was at least as decent as the last Street Fighter animated movie. Although I think it was actually a little bit better because it didn't quite focus on trying to fit in every single character in the game. Always the mistake of adapting fighting games. <laughs> like, they include a lot of characters, but not all the characters, and it wasn't that bad. And then again, if you're making a movie or video anime based on a fighting game, you kind of can't help but try to include everyone. It's <laughs> it's the hard part to balance. It's kind of the trap. <laughs> but the Studio 4 seat, they get balanced decently well, and I don't see why they couldn't, you know adapt something similar for, you know, live action. How hard could it really be? I don't know, but speaking of Street Fighter, uh, Olympic Hopeful uses Street Fighter 4 for training, which I find is a hilarious, awesome title. British Olympic Hopeful and recent bronze medalist in the European Taekwondo Championships Tyrone Robinson, the article reads, has adopted an unorthodox training regimen that includes long sessions with Capcom Street Fighter 4. Does anyone in Street Fighter 4 even use Taekwondo? No. I mean, I'm not that familiar with it yet. I'm pretty sure that they do. I mean, uh, maybe he's working on, like, his, you know, fireballs. Yeah. Well, it's Shouldn't a- he be playing, like, Fatal Fury? That has a Taekwondo guy. <laughs> well, it says it helps him sharpen his coordination, speed up his reflexes, and mentally rehearse his in-ring fight planning. Uh, but so if he gets if they if he can tell that they're gonna you know fireball he can jump over it yeah. or maybe you know if it like say like Dalsim the arm suddenly stretches out you know wide and crazy and I don't know maybe he could also practice those things by I don't know playing you know, I don't know maybe practicing ta- taekwondo yeah well they said this isn't to uh, this isn't to replace physical training. This is just something they want him to do when he's not physically training. This is something he's doing for fun and claiming it's training. Pretty much. You know, <laughs> speaking of Street Fighter 4, I got to play Daryl Surratt the other day, and he's way better than he lets on. He's, like, way better. I think he might be better than James. I don't know. Like, he's good. And I just want to point that out there. I, just, I don't think Olympic hopefuls are allowed to have fun, so he has to, you know, pretend and he's he was, training. Oh, that's right. <laughs> He's also like the you know the European bronze medalist. He's not even Asian, so I don't see how well he's going to actually do. Yeah. Okay, I'm just the crapping at the title of your next piece of news, but oh yeah, so well, we actually had two of these. First off, Toys R Us joins the used games business. Apparently, people have noticed that already right now you can walk in Toys R Us and they'll take your games for credit to buy more stuff in Toys R Us. But apparently they're only doing it in the select uh, areas right now, and soon it will be all over. Right. Soon. Not that I generally go to Toys R Us, but and hey. Guess who else is also doing that? Uh, Best Buy apparently is re-examining its used game sales. They used to do it, then decided, uh, they tried testing it out, mm-hmm. and then they're like, nah, and now they're like, well, maybe, yeah. Make up your mind. We're losing all our customers to GameStop. Way, way, well, way. GameStop is one of the few companies that actually goes, "Hey guys, we actually made more money this year during the depre- during our horrible recession and faltering economy than we did the year previous." Go us and use games. Well, GameStop is sort of, is my general choice of actual physical gaming store, but it's just a little far away for me to get to regularly. But it's well, my it, choice because I go there to hang out with Basil. Oh, yeah, it's my choice. I, you know, anyways, um, <laughs> but, well, you know, I mean, how many, you know, dedicated game stores are there in the world, and GameStop's kind of it, unless you buy online, which, you know, a lot of people do, but you can't exactly trade your games and use online well, unless there's you're... there's Play and so. Trade, which I, I'm given to understand is some kind of a franchise, and they may or may not exist where the listeners are, but if they're anything like the one around here, they suck. 
Like, I mean, I guess you could go, you could eBay your stuff and use your money you got from eBay to on Amazon or something. A lot of people aren't that patient. Yeah, yeah true. People they, want instant gratification. They do. Which is nice to go into a video game store that may have used games you haven't played before. So, yeah. But, you know, it's... But sometimes you want something old. Maybe like Ogre Battle. And I, in which case... I do want me some Ogre Battle. If you have a Wii, you're in luck, because it was what's on Virtual Console this week. Oh, snap. I need to get some Wii points. Man. <laughs> oh, you have a Wii? Yes. Man, I'm jealous. I have all the stupid systems right now. I play the Xbox more than anything. It's yeah, sad. Me too. Me three. And I only play then old again, games on my Wii. <laughs> that's all I play on Wii is virtual console games. <laughs> my my Wii is so full of stuff. But I should mention that we're recording this on a Tuesday, and this will be up the following Monday, but Ogre Battle will still be there. But won't be there, but might be at some point, is the sequel to Final Fantasy IV. Holy the, shit. Known as Final Fantasy IV The After Years. This was originally... Um, actually a cell phone game in Japan that takes place um, years after Final Fantasy IV starring um, Cecil and Rose's um, kid. Yeah. Like, things like Theodore, maybe, or Theodore, or... Wait! Ted, Theodore, Logan. Man, they just had to give him a dumb name. Well, Cecil. Well, it's... Yeah. I remember it's very similar to Goldblaze's real name. Oh. That they gave it to him in the whole DS version because they, they had the added plot. They should have just named him Golbez so that he could be awesome. Golbez Jr., stop it, destroying the earth right now! It could be Golbez's quest for you go around doing evil. <laughs> now, the uh, Japanese version was called The After, but this one's going to be called The After Years. Man, this makes it seem like a bad sitcom. It makes it seem like you should have an elderly. Cecil fighting monsters going, damn you kids in my day! I believe they've mentioned that well, at least we'll see like an older Sid. Mm. Eh. Like the screenshots I've seen have Sid with white hair instead of brown hair. You kids these days, I need an overdrive or no limit breaks to kill monsters. I just hit them with my sword. It's true. Now, this is currently, the reason why we know it might be coming is because the ESRB has rated it. Um, got an E rating. And it was specifically said for the Wii. But there's also a pretty good chance that the 360 and PS3 might also see versions of it. And E, I was hoping for them to, you know, show how we got the kid. Well, this is also... That'd be great, rated M. <laughs> this is also 16-bit graphics, so... Uh, oh, shit. Perhaps you... Or you maybe P. So, perhaps you wouldn't actually really want to see... Hey, I'll take hot... I'll 16 take... by 16, you know, sprites yeah. there. Xenosaga was T, right? Or Xenogears was a T, right? Yeah. So, apparently, Sprite on Sprite Sex is only a T rating. Yeah, well, I'll take Sprite on Sprite Sex when I can get it, man. But, uh, speaking on Sprites, not Sprites on Sprites, you sicko, um, we are in fact getting the late, the new King of Fighters in <laughs> July. They're actually doing a worldwide release. King of Fighters! It's being put out by, I believe, Marvelous. No, sorry, sorry, I'm wrong. It's Ignition Entertainment. And it's coming to both Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. And it's been a while since I played any King of Fighters. So, uh, yeah, screw y'all. I know a lot of people are like, oh man, this is going to be PS3. And I'm like, what about 360? No, it's a. King of Fighters is sort of a PlayStation franchise. And I just want to go, no, it's yeah, a Neo, Neo Geo, Geo franchise. <laughs> and since the Neo Geo is dead, SK ports everything under the sun as, as many. Yeah, as many, many consoles they can, throw they can sell it to. And normally it's actually usually like Wii and PS2 or Wii and PSP. In this case, because I guess they uh, redid all the graphics to be in HD and everything. Like what they did was actually made uh, 3D models and then drew over the 3D models. Cool. To make sure they had the proportions right and everything. Everything's all like silky smooth and whatnot. I still want more adventure with Terry Bogard. Yes. <laughs> Although... We're going to see what happens, because the last time I saw a roster for this game, mm-hmm. it didn't have Mai, and there's a problem. How can you have Mai? She's the uh, fan service girl of that it has King, I'll be happy. I don't think it had King either. Oh, fuck them. They can go to hell. <laughs> like, I don't, I'm not sure, but it was a pretty small roster. Maybe they give some downloadable content, but we'll see. I don't remember what the roster actually was. Athena? But I think Athena was in there. Oh, well, good. Small favors. Well, I think Athena was there. Man, King better be in there. I'll be writing to SNK. 
Well, we'll we'll find like out. That'll accomplish it. It would. <laughs> like maybe we'll start an internet petition because those always work. Yes, those always work. We can go to inter- internetpetitionsuck.com and start one up today. Yeah, because I know I'm enjoying that last season of Sailor Moon they put out for me. Yeah, but really, and you know the sequel to Firefly. Yeah, Dollhouse. Uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh man, the things I've heard about Dollhouse. I stand by Chuck is a better sequel to Firefly than Dollhouse. <laughs> At least you have Alan, Adam Baldwin. <laughs> Dollhouse isn't that bad. It's just a very hard concept to actually make work as a television kind show. Kind of squicks me, although, at least according to Eliza Dushku, it gets awesome at episode six. So I may wait till then. Does it, uh, would it be better as, like, a orange movie? Well, the whole premise is that you have these people that have given up their memories so that you can insert any sort of combination of memories and personalities that you want to make them do whatever you need them to do to get their job done. And Why would you give up your memories? Well, that... If your life really sucks. I take the impression they were kind of forced into it, probably. Right. It was probably one of those things where they did something wrong, mm-hmm. and either they saw sort of a nasty jail time, or they do this thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We don't... We know the big character was trying to, you know, change something in her life, and this was the option given to her that she reluctantly took. But you don't actually get to see what happens. You just get to see first... her new personality or something? Well, the personality changes every episode. Oh. And the trick is, is that it makes for a lot of interesting, you know, short stories type things. Because you get a different, you know, personality every week. You get a different objective every week. Mm-hmm. The trick is that because of that, she has no set personality of her own. And you really just don't get attached to anybody. Right. I think you're supposed to, like, say, get more attached to, say, your handler. The guy watches over her or some of the other characters. But doesn't that change, too? No, no, those are those are people who are set. Oh. People who she works around with are oh. the same. It's only her and other people like her that are the um, actors, they put it, are, you know, constantly changing their personalities. But she's the main character. And since she never has a set personality for any given episode, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to relate. And so it, it's a really neat idea, but it doesn't quite work as a ongoing television show. It's kind well, of a hard concept to do. Well, didn't he put this on Fox again, even though he said he'd never do that again? Isn't this on- and it's in the time slot of death. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Isn't it, doesn't that mean as soon as it gets good that Fox is going to can it? Probably. So, so maybe he's planning on this to be crappy, so it'll stay on forever. Kind of like the X Files. It's his only hope. He can. Ma- he has to make it like good, but not too good. That's right. It's the delicate balance. Unless your house, <laughs> house uh, can be as good as it wants, and Fox will keep putting. That's it on an unexpected that segue into Dollhouse for probably yeah. longer than we meant to. But hey. But speaking of things that we kind of like, we thought we'd introduce a new element to the show, a new thing that we were going to call moments of awesome. And I will be providing the music for this. Oh, okay, we're done. Awesome! James, if you could compose a little ditty for us, I don't know, it'd be appreciative. If not, use mine. Yeah. Or, you just did the Tetris theme, just for a little (laughs) bit. That doesn't count. (laughs) Okay, I'll make up a completely new one. That's not even music. <laughs> <laughs> you know, music is, it's just not a theme you've heard before. It's the moment of awesome. It's totally effing awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and y'all, anyways, moments of awesome. Things that we're actually, you know, doing that we like, you know, that we're, maybe we're reading a manga, maybe we're playing a video game, maybe we're watching something new, I don't know. But not quite enough to do a review on it, but to let y'all know, hey, this stuff exists, and you should check it out. You start, Kevin. <laughs> sure. Isn't it going to be the Star Ocean game? Well, by default now, yes. <laughs> I, my moment is Star Ocean 4, or Star Ocean The Last Hope, or Star Ocean Enterprise. I'm not sure what or they're calling it. Star Ocean that's on 360. Yes. <laughs> It's, uh, it's fun. Um, it's, takes place before, before all the other Star Ocean games as a prequel. Um, 
Earth is only just crawling its way into space because it's a irradiated shithole. You're you and just one of the random jerks going out to try to find strange new worlds and new civilizations and to find hot alien chicks, just like every sci-fi show. With swords. With swords. Yeah, it somehow always breaks comes down to swords. I don't know. Or at least in the first Star Ocean, you start off as some bum hicks on a planet that uses swords. Yeah. And you just get abducted by uh, the Captain Kirk wannabe because he's like, oh, you've seen too much technology. Time to come with us. Yeah, in the second one, you kind of have a phaser for the first couple hours of the game, and then it breaks, and then yeah. you're stuck with a sword. And they think, oh, you're the hero of light because you were using this, like, beam sword of light. Wait. In the third game, they make up the Prime Directive, and um, it's like, you're on a planet that's too low-tech for blasters. Oh, fine, replicate me a goddamn sword. And they do. Last Hope, he just likes swords. <laughs> they decided not to even try to bother. Well, they do sort of rationalize it, because the first planet you land on, um, the inhabitants, which are creepy bugs, um, cannot be harmed by railguns, which seem to be the standard Earth weapon. They literally anticipate it, the electromagnetism and bounce the shell off them with their own force field. But uh, they can't do that with swords? Nope. Nor arrows, because the main character's girlfriend likes archery. Well, okay, she's not really his girlfriend, but it's kind of the first girl you meet in the game law. Yeah. yeah. Whoa. But, uh, yeah, it's fun. Strange new worlds, time paradoxes, way too many women who use magic in your party, but yeah. We. RPGs on 360, you can't be... Well, you can be picky, really. There's a god-awful lot of them, them now, aren't you, they? you think about it. But, yeah, it's... To it's be not, fair, the worst thing I have to say about it is I, the voice acting is kind of weak. That's actually, I think, the biggest problem of the game, and it's not that big of a problem. All in all, I'm not done with it, so maybe the end blows. I don't know, but I'm enjoying it so far. What I've been checking out is, uh, picked up today, actually, a brand new manga came out called Pluto. And it's actually a, sort of a co-work. It's done by um, Urasawa, the same guy who did 20th Century Boys Monster. And it's actually a retelling of a story of, of Astro Boy by, you know, Tezuka, which is, you know, the father of anime as we know it. God of manga! Really? I mean, he's a god. In the Shinto sense. <laughs> it's what life is, and it's what see, it's, it actually takes, like, it takes the story on um, the greatest robot on Earth, which is about a robot named Pluto, which you don't get to find out in the first volume of Pluto, but the, one of the main people are named is Pluto, in case you didn't know. Spoilers! Not really. And you're actually, uh, what they did, they took an Astro Boy story, and he reworked it to become, like, a modern, like, Murder mystery, where the first thing happens is a robot gets violently murdered. That's right, a robot gets violently murdered. Mm-hmm. But it's like this robot that's beloved by all, and you discover as you as you actually you're following a an Interpol robot who is one of the greatest detectives ever. Like he's like the ultimate detective robot. They programmed him for that and everything. That's right, and he's off to try and track down this mysterious murderer, and it's really, really good. It takes, you know, all the stuff he, the guy knows how to do, like, you know, suspense and everything, and it turns it out into a story that was originally Astro Boy. And it, it's really well done. The artwork's so, like, different because it's... Well, it's still, you can see, like, all the reimaginings of all the Tezuka robots and everything. Mm-hmm. But he does this in a much more realistic, much more gritty, much more modern style that's very, very different from how Tezuka would do things back when he was first, you know, inventing the genre. Does it have the character Astro Boy in it? It does. It's actually like the last page. <laughs> you, you, you actually get to meet Adam. And that's really, when you really, like, you know, when it really all comes together, you realize, oh man, this is, this is something. And if you've ever read any of his previous works, like Monster is a masterwork. It's probably one of the best, you know, I guess is it. I guess it's horror. It's sort of a suspense horror side. I haven't really read it yet. From what I hear, that's... I've read the first couple of novels and it got novels. That's really, really good. And so far, Pluto looks like it's going to be really good too. And that's that's what I've been doing. Oh yeah. Well, I'm thankful for. I mean, awesome moment of Dragon Dragon Quest Five. 
Hand of the Heavenly Bride. It's, you know, it's the it's, we've never gotten it over here in the States until now. It was originally for Super Nintendo. They redid it for a PS2, I think, maybe one. But it doesn't matter. It's now on the DS, and it's pretty awesome. I can't quite say it's quite as awesome as the uh, Dragon Warrior 4, but it's still pretty effing awesome. It's got... You know, the standard Dragon Quest stuff, except instead of playing it through chapters like the last one, you play it through ages. You start out as a little kid, you do all sorts of crap, and then you become an adult and do all sorts of crap, and... And then stuff further sort of happens. Yes. But, like, because, you know, it's less than a heavenly bride, you actually do get to pick a bride. And marry her. Marry her, and what things that happen, what happens when you marry someone and have a honeymoon... Well, other things occur, and it's... I don't know, I actually like... I'm playing it, too. Like, me and me got the same day. Yep. I need it. And I actually... I think I might overall like it better than 4. Really? Well, I think it's got some elements that are better than 4. I think 4 might... Well, I'll wait, I'll wait and I'll give and see until I beat it, but there are some things about 4 that I like better. Like, I liked the year party overall in 4 better, because you actually sort of had one, and this you have more monsters. But a lot of the story elements are kind of more roller coastery in this one, and it kind of goes, "Oh shit, I did not expect that to." Oh shit, I did. Oh, don't what like that. Well, I do think Four did a much better job of way how it had everything chaptered, mm-hmm. where you got to meet all your party members and they each got to have their own story. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this one, it's very much focused on you, mm-hmm. and there's other characters around you, and they get their own stories, but it still all happens around you, and it's not. How you are growing and how your character is evolving, with the world doing the same thing around you, and it's—they both definitely tell different stories. Mm-hmm. And, and for a series that everyone, you know, claims is so old and tired and worn in its own tracks, it's really neat to play these older games and see how you know maybe it's old in its tracks and it's already done everything because it's doing things that I don't see done in RPGs normally. Yeah, the old in the tracks comes from the, you know, reused-ish sort of first-person battle system and item stuff. But it actually, to see the animations and to play through them, it's actually a pretty fresh experience if if the whole turn-based RPG thing doesn't, you know, bum you out. I also think it also helps, or perhaps even hinders it in a way that, you know, 4 was on the NES, mm-hmm. 5 was on the Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that... In comparison, you know, when the Japanese played it, Final was probably a huge step up just graphically. Mm-hmm. Whereas because what we got a four remade on the DS and Fire made on the rede- um, remade on the DS are the same engine, pretty same much. engine, same graphics, yeah, pretty much. And so it's it's just more. It feels as far as that goes, more the same rather than you know a, a big leap forward or anything. Though they have, which I thought was impressive gone a little bit further with architecture inside the buildings and stuff, making it they more have. glamorous. And like, it's definitely more refined, but it still looks very... The same, yeah. Very, it's even the same sprites. Very, very similar. You know, and the same music they use because it's the same score, more or less, with mm-hmm. different themes, but a lot of... Well, the, yeah, most of the Dragon Quests have a lot of the same music. And so I think they just use the same music because, you know, it's the same engine. But it's it's really good, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't played it, but I bet they're right. It's great. you damn right it's good. Mm-hmm. You should all go buy it. I intend to someday in the future. And Retro Game Challenge, although we'll talk about that probably next week. Yes, Retro Game Challenge is awesome. But this week, we're actually going to be... Um, we're going to go back into the early days of anime. Not that early. That's why. It's not really that early. It's like <laughs> early 2000s, really. That's early for all these new kids who just started watching Naruto. Oh, this kicks the ass in Naruto. Well, I oh, guess. it does. It well, it, does. well, the one we're talking about still does, but it's it's weird. That was actually... Well, we'll get into it. It's the first season of Full Metal Panic. Dum, da, 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 but first, a word from our sponsors. Well, a promo for a different podcast. You have found me a mighty podcast. You have brought before me a show worthy of I, Wolf, Greater Fiend, and Rue 
ruler of storms. I have prepared a venue befitting an audio duel to the death. Come, we will listen to Robotronic Dynamite on the sacred battleground of the Colosseum. Deceived by this show's delicate appearance, it is a proven warrior. <laughs> now come with me to RobotronicDynamite.com, where you shall be given an honorable death. Despairing and stop despairing. We're now, we're now talking about we're, you know, full metal panic. Despair is a sweet trap. Sorry. Okay. Right. Now, on to the topic for tonight's conversation. Full metal panic is totally an anime. Before it was an anime, it was a light novel. Yes. Or a series of light novels. Series of light novels. And short stories. Like, well, light, in light novels, in case you don't know, are. Kind of like, you know, teen reading, sort of. They're, they tend to be shorter stories, you know. With some, a few illustrations inside. You know, maybe if they had, a, like, a scholastic book fair, these are the books you'd see there. Except much cooler. Except, like, just about everyone reads them in Japan. That are comic books. Because yeah. they're, they're quick reading. And so it's easy to have with you on a train or something. Mm-hmm. And because they're quick reading, usually they're pretty action-packed, easy to, uh, easy to sink your teeth into... They tend to get made into anime a whole lot. You know, Haruhi Suzumiya, Slayers. A lot of anime gets developed via light novels. Zero Stra- Tsukima. Strawberry Panic. Yeah, etc. <laughs> a ton of, ton of them. Full Metal Panic is no exception. No, it is an exception because it's awesome. Well, some of those other things are awesome too. Hey, shut up. <laughs> but this one was done by some. Guy named uh, Soji Gato. Thank you, Mister Gato. Or Mister Soji, is it? Yes. And then to get our anime adaptations, it kind of went through the same process, somewhat similar to Helsing, in that it was first animated by Gonzo, Ooh. and then he realized the error of his ways, and then moved it over to Kyoto Animation, Yay. which did a much much better job. Except, unlike Helsing, it's not necessarily a retelling. It's uh... no, it's it follows the first couple of books pretty well. Well, unlike Helsing, Full Metal Panic was awesome enough that it actually warranted, like it was still good after Gonzo was done with it. Yeah, which is rare. Which is an exception with something that's not they just made up in house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it's Gonzo. When they do their original stuff, they're okay. But if they adapt, you can just you better hope for the best. Of course, then again, they are kind of going downhill with, oh, you know, Strike Witches. and <laughs> yeah. You did just not mention Strike Witches on my podcast, sir. What's Strike Witches? Oh, oh don't, <laughs> don't, don't continue with this thought, Lee. I'm sorry. Do not continue with this thought. Is that the word the knights who say knee cannot hear? Uh, yes. Yes, Lee. that's right, Lee. Yes. That's, that's right completely. Yes. That's, yes. Full Metal Panic. It's good stuff. It's a very interesting way on in how the guy handles it, because there's two sides of it. The novels are a bit more serious, and, you know, more the actual plotline of the story, whereas he does also the short stories, which are wacky high school hijinks. Well, we haven't really explained the main story. Wacky high school hijinks may not seem like a, 
we lack context why that's different. Uh. <laughs> well, the context can be explained in one person. Sagara Sosuke. Yes. Your, you know, teenage solid snake. <laughs> Military maniac. Awesome, awesome guy. But clueless socially. Yeah. Well, he's not like so much a military ma- military maniac. Is that's the only thing he's ever known yeah, since he was a, a baby. He's been well, raised raised by the KGB as an assassin, then taken in by Afghani rebels. Yeah, and... calling him a mil- military maniac makes him sound like a military otaku or something, and that's totally not him. That's his friend. He's been that's like a child friend. soldier turned mercenary. <laughs> and what happens is, this is technically takes place in the year of 1999. So, it takes place in the past, but an alternate past. Dun, dun, dun! Which has things like what we don't see, like giant robots. Yeah. And and other things. And the whispered. Small-scale fusion reactors, uh, super submarines, all sorts of crazy stuff. Well, a lot of this is because of the whispered. Whispered are people who, for some reason, it's unknown... Their minds are already filled in, like, in the back of their brains with what's known as black technology. And black technology is technology that technically should not exist, but does in this world. Way beyond the level of science of now. But <laughs> it allows you to make giant robots. And it, they're just born with it. They just know this information. It's and usually in a specialized field, like one might be an expert on submarine mechanics, one might be an expert on communications electronics. And but, it's not like it's they automatically always are thinking of it. It's sort of in their subconscious. It just kind of comes out sometimes. And Sagra Sosuke works for this group called Mithril, which is a mercenary group that only seems to take jobs for justice. Just, just Justice. Justice. Didn't you say it right the first time? Yes, you did. Totally. Oh, well. Yeah, and they, they fight terrorists and stop weapons of mass destruction and drug dealers and evil terrorist organizations out for world domination. That are probably also dealing drugs. Yeah. Kind of like G.I. Joe, except not really a part of America. <laughs> and they've, you know, they've, uh, they, Sosuke's on with them now after being, you know, a child soldier and all that crap. Yeah, he's kind of messed up. He has a... I mean, he's excellent in his normal field of being a badass mercenary who also pilots a giant robot, but when it comes to anything resembling normal life, he's... Way out of clueless. Which sucks for him. One of the reasons that he is... Sorry, not he, but Mithril is so good at what they do is because they not only know about the existent Whispered, they also tend to enlist them in their ranks as, you know people to help them. And they also noticed that there is a particular whispered that's about to be targeted. And this is a girl named Shidori. She's an average, you know, 16-year-old high school student who has no clue what she's about to get into. So they decide maybe we should send a bodyguard to protect her. Who do we have who looks Asian and is high school-aged and speaks Japanese? Hey, Sosuke! Get over here. He drew the short straw. <laughs> the short straw of life. Yes. Short straw of awesome. <laughs> so they go, there you go, we're going to make you a high school, we, we forged papers, we're going to make you a high school student, your job is protect this girl. Go do so. There's only a slight problem with that. <laughs> One teeny, tiny wrinkle in the whole him doing this job. That he tends to respond with lethal force to anything? It's that he has no <laughs> clue how to be, like... A normal high school a, student? A normal person at all. His entire life has been nothing but military, military, military. Guns, 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 boom, boom, boom. You know... Survive, survive, survive. He has a tendency to misinterpret everything as a threat. <laughs> everything. <laughs> everything. Everything. For example, gets a note in his locker and... Worried that someone's tampered with locker and put a bomb in there, he does what you do when you expect an explosive device and blows up all the lockers. <laughs> Just to be sure. Just to be sure. Okay, so it was a love note, but he didn't realize it. Yes. And that's how he reacts to everything. For example, 
when he meets... He doesn't actually talk to, you know, Chidori and says, Hey, I'm here to protect you. No, no, no. He just, he just sort of stalks her. And is and, always right behind her. And not stalking is in, I have, you know... He, his mind doesn't even comprehend what you'd normally associate with stalking, so it's not like... He's staking out the target. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, but of course, you know, his apartment is almost directly, you know, across from hers. He always would stay, like, you know, exactly five feet away from her. He has a room bug. He's <laughs> well, that, that's more the rest of Miss, uh, Mitchell helped him out. His cohorts helped him out with that one, I believe. Well, yes, but, you know... And he does have backup in the form yeah. of a good old Kurtz Weber. Kurtz Weber. And Melissa Mao. Oh, she's awesome. Well, yeah. We should do one at a time. Yeah. Kurtz is... He really, really, really wishes he was a playboy and fails mis- miserably at it. Mostly he just much fails like with Mao, I think. <laughs> well, he doesn't get much of a chance to, you know... As I, far as I can tell, most most of the females on the ship are either Melissa Mao or Tessa. Yeah. So Dory doesn't, doesn't exactly like him. Well, I think she actually kind of likes him, but she's having none of his uh, Playboy ways. Yeah, well, that's what I meant. He doesn't <laughs> like him like that. She doesn't like him like that. Yes, I mean she thinks he's. I think she thinks he's an okay guy. But he's an excellent sniper. Excellent sniper. And then you got Melissa Mao. His they're. The actual person who's in charge of the Selskay's yeah, unit. Their team leader, who's an ex-U.S. Marine, and is pretty handy with a chainsword. <laughs> she's pretty damn awesome. I love her. Yeah, yeah, one of my favorite characters. She's definitely the most hard-boiled, smoking cigarettes, drinking beer, you know, crushing them on the top of her forehead type, you know, hula sort yeah. of. Yeah, for being a very hot girl, she is definitely feels like a Marine. Yeah. And these are the people that were sent to back him up. Yes. And we did also mention Tessa, who is the captain of the submarine that um, he's assigned to. And she's also 16. And got the hots for him. Eventually. Eventually, Eventually, yes. She develops it. Of course, she's also whispered herself, so that's why she knows all about submarines and stuff. She's super smart, but she's also horribly clumsy. Which is mostly just played for laughs. Which is why she's got her two, you know, awesome guys behind her. Dude in a hat. Who's a Monty Python fan. Is he? Yes, he is. You know the little Fumofu with the banana joke? That's a Monty Python reference. Banana in the shower thing. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a little obtuse. It doesn't really have much to do with the particular show we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I totally forget his name, but he's, he's you'll know him as the yeah, dude with the hat. the dude with the hat. Does he have the hots for Tessa? He's more like her surrogate father, I think. He's the first officer of the sub. He treats her like she's his daughter, like down ah. to even threatening Sosuke that anything happens to her, he's going to kill him in the name of God and the Queen. Yes. So that's more from Mofu when, yes. when, he, when he does that. And then there's the, the, awesome, the other awesome, you know, the, the other awesome old dude. Kalanin. I remember him. He's almost like Sosuke's dad. Yeah. Is, uh, sort of. I, I love him, by the He's way. He's the overall commander of their, like, mecha forces and is ex-KGB. <laughs> He's actually the guy who uh, raised Sosuke originally after they set, rescued him from initially being just a, t- just a child soldier. Mm-hmm. And he's definitely your super wise and, you know, deep-voiced, you know, I know how to lead men, and I can give you wise sayings, and that doesn't actually help you until just the right time. I love him, by the way. Isn't it strange, in the time we live with these giant robots... He actually has a speech about how weird it is to have giant robots. And, you know, he's totally right, even though I love giant robots. Did we mention this is a mecha show? This is a mecha show. It is a mecha show. I might have mentioned he pilots robots somewhere back there, but it's and, totally and, a mecha show. And as we mentioned earlier, it also has high school hijinks. Yes. As Sosuke, as his bumbling adventures with the, the rest of the world... And making uh, Chidori piss. When it's a high school love comedy, it's a funny high school love comedy. And when it's a military drama, it's a military drama. And, um, I mean, the science is grounded mostly in real-world science. The giant robots are fairly realistically portrayed. They're 
designed like real machines. Most of their stuff is just kind of upsized real-world weapons. And it's kind of Tom Clancy doing a high school love comedy. <laughs> it sort of is. It's actually kind of strange we never actually got on American TV. It's one of those shows I actually could really see doing well. Doing well. Yeah, it's heavily influenced by American action movies, you know, the Die Hard trilogy, Full Metal Jacket, uh, the A-Team. It even has a musical motif that sounds nearly exactly like the A-Team theme. Yeah, it's, it's, it sounds like it's just almost the A-Team theme, but it's not. And mm. it is intentional. Japan loved the A-Team, by the way. <laughs> well, who couldn't love the A-Team? I mean, mm. the, mis- the, you know, the wacky hijinks of you know, Mr. T and Hannibal and Face. And, yeah, it's great stuff. Murdoch. Murdoch, oh yeah. People get through hella far. That's at right. some point they tear something up and rebuild it into an armored vehicle of destruction. It was awesome. And that's what Full Metal Panic's kind of like. <laughs> Only instead of Mr. T, you get, you know, a, te- a, a Japanese teenager. Like most anime. Yeah, but, yeah, he is almost Mr. T, really. And is that really? He almost is kind of Mr. T. I don't know. <laughs> I I don't know if I go that far. Well, he's not, not really just like Mr. T. I mean, he's he his voice is when he says up stuff. It's short to the point. Yeah, he's all he's all serious and all about the business, getting stuff done. He pities the fool. No, well, he doesn't. never know. He doesn't. Occasionally, he does pity the fool. I mean, at least once or twice, he pities a fool. Yeah. Don't be don't be confusing the people and think this is a Mr. T show. Starting no, Mr. it's T. not. It, that would be awesome, but no, <laughs> no. It's it's really it's its own thing entirely. Mm-hmm. It definitely takes heavy influence from American action movies and uh, military thrillers and and I don't know Ferris Bueller's Day Off, uh, but <laughs> really, maybe just a little. Well, with the high school hijinks, because yeah. the whole thing with you know. Sosuke's protect Chidori from everything. Yes. Now, it doesn't matter if it's some jerkwad in Gauron who decided to kidnap her to steal secrets out of her brain. Who legitimately is an evil terrorist. Or if it's a guy who's trying to ask her out because she who thinks he's hot. is not an evil terrorist, but just as likely to get shot. Although, at least in, in school, he uses rubber bullets. <laughs> and... More likely just to get shoved to the ground and put a gun in his face and ask him what the fuck he's doing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and it, it's really amazing how much this actually corresponds in ADB's release. Um, later on, Kid Animation sort of splits theirs off into two separate series. Fumofu, which is all the waha- wacky high school hijinks. It is hilarious. And then they also have the second raid, which actually is based off two of the novels as an actual military drama story thing. Primarily focuses on the silly, or the serious stuff. Serious stuff. to the silly. And, and it really is, when you actually watch it, you realize that these are the exact same characters, and you could totally see them be doing both these things. Yes. In high school, Sosuke is fish out of water, and it's played for laughs, because he is totally lost. But in his own military environment, he is the guy you want right there with you. <laughs> It's great that that author could write both so well, and that's uh, I admire him for that. Now, I'll grant you, um, Gonzo did do a decent, well, as decent job as Gonzo can do. They actually, instead of having two separate series, they do sort of bounce between the wacky and the serious, depending on the story arc involved, as you're watching the full show. Yeah, they've got some silly episodes. Well, sometimes the silly and serious are mixed together in an episode, but usually they'll give you a a funny episode after a couple of serious episodes just to give you a little mm-hmm. uh, tension relief. But the bad part about the Gonzo animation is the animation quality itself, which is excellent in the beginning and end, but kind of peters down to crap. Well, kind of uh, crap in the middle. It, it does, yeah, and the, it kind of gets into the, well, the comic relief episodes, and it's like, this is not that well animated. <laughs> Honestly, just in general, it's not as good as it could have been. Mm. Like, if you actually watch... Like, I know when I watched the first season, what Gonzo did, originally I watched it on my computer, and I had to throw into a specialty media player, throw a bunch of filters, try to sharpen the image, level things out, you know, change the brightness, change the contrast, trying all these things, just to give me a decent picture that didn't look like ass on my screen. Yeah. 
And then once I was done with that, I'm like, oh man, I want to watch some more. I know, I'll pop in, you know. I'll pop in Fumofu. And suddenly it looked horrible on my screen because Kyoto's animation's really good and all these filters and changes and levels I did were absolutely, made it look like way too, you know, way too much crap. That's not a really good term, way too much crap. But I'm going with it because it was way too much crap. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was perfectly fine without the filters. And, you know, it's, it really showed me the difference between the two. I mean, Gonzo tends to go through much thicker lines, not for the reasons that you would need, like, thicker lines, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't give you a sense of, you know, boldness or strength to it. Not like you're doing Get a Robo and you need big, thick 70s animation lines just to make the characters look right. It was more just they, that's how they just did things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where it was, you know, Kyoto Animation tends to use more variable line width than the actual animation to, you know, determine things like, you know, scale and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Whereas Gonzo's was much more, I don't want to say generic, but it was definitely, it felt like, you know, Kyoto was really, they wanted to do a good job, whereas Gonzo was just turning another thing out to make money. Yeah, it's it's probably one of the better... It's probably the best adaptation of something Gonzo has ever done. But it's still Gonzo animation, and it doesn't quite live up to its potential, but it's where you need to start. Mm-hmm. It's true, because it, it lays out the whole framework. Who are the Whispered? Why they're doing their thing? Who are our heroes? What you is, know, who is this Gowron asshole who's constantly killing people and messing things up and kidnapping people? Just why does this giant robot have a device that uses my imagination to give me a magic shotgun? Oh, uh, yeah, the Lambda Driver. Yeah. Which is sort of the... Um, kind of the ultimate random super technology that shouldn't exist. Yes. Where it uses the power of your imagination to make things work that shouldn't. Yeah, I think the novels actually give kind of a long-winded explanation of how it uses the brain waves to manipulate electromagnetic energy and plasma and other crazy stuff that are probably related to random Tesla ramblings to accomplish impossible things. <laughs> um, like being able to stand on something that can't support your mecha's weight. Or It's true, like whether it's you're making this giant red colossal thing move or sniping with a shotgun. Which also should not happen. Although Sosuke also uses the standing on impossible things trick. He just doesn't consciously know he's doing it. <laughs> That's the problem, though, is Sosuke has no imagination. Yeah, his imagination isn't exactly the best. He's, he thinks like an engineer. Yes. But as an engineer soldier. And his, his brain actually kind of rebels at the idea that this device he has even exists or could possibly work. And it takes only, he only ever manages to use it in extreme circumstances. Several times it's actually Chidori going, hey, you know, you really should use this thing. Or I'm like totally going to die. <laughs> so you better do it. Or I'm going to so hurt you. Yeah. And then he goes, oh, well, maybe I need to really, really try hard to think of something imaginative. I know, I'll shoot a bullet. Yeah. It'll be the best bullet Unfortunately... What's the best bullet ever? Yeah, unfortunately Mithra only has one of these because the person who knew how to make them died. Other people seem to get their hands on it. Yeah, unfortunately the bad guys seem to have someone who knows to make them too, and they have a lot of them. (laughs) He's like, here's another one. Here's another one. Let's throw these guys in the one too. Also, theirs seem to work a lot more reliably. Um, And all their pilots are crazy. That may also be why they work reliably. (laughs) And use lots of drugs. Yeah. Because you... Because I guess, well, when you have something that, well, you know, it sort of breaks reality... It probably breaks you a little bit, too. Well, I, I, I understand the explanation as being that it, it, it requires certain wavelengths of your brain waves to be active, and they, t- they take, they've, and some of the pilots have been injected with drugs to artificially induce that level of brainwave activity, which also makes them a, more than a little wacky. Which usually means killing sprees. Yeah, and fortunately that works into their plans, usually. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a, it's kind of, but it's it's a good show. Like it is, does balance things very well between the serious and the goofy. And when Gonzo is actually caring about their animation, it it can look decent. I mean, I, I know I'm down on it, but 
I still watched it. I still bought it. And sure, it was mostly to get through to the good stuff that Kyoto did. But I still actually enjoyed what I watched when I was watching it. Mm-hmm. And I and I have before, you know, went and watched it again later on, you know, to catch up on an episode here and there, just refresh myself. But oh man, that was that was that was some good stuff. Yeah, and it took me a long time to actually get the whole series, so I somehow ended up seeing the first little story arc like about a dozen times at random intervals. Awesomes out of awesomes. Can we really give the first season of Full Metal Al- Alchemist Panic? I give Full Panic. Metal Alchemist, Alchemist zero awesomes out of no. I give it a half awesome out of awesome as long as we're in the Japanese. Oh, but Full Metal Panic. <laughs> I give it. I give it a dozen and a half arm slaves of awesome. Oh uh, yes, arm slaves. That's the name of the mecca. Yes. I give it a Hugo Gernsbach of awesome. Now, why would you give a Hugon Bach of Oh, well, the main mecha that Mithril uses is the Gernsbach, named for Hugo Gernsbach, who the Hugo Science Fiction Award is also named after. Oh. Well, then I'll give it a Tutha del Danen of awesome. Who the fuck is that? Or what the fuck? Wait, how do you actually pronounce that? I hope it's Tuatha de Danen, but I'm also possibly mangling it. It's the name of the submarine ship that Tessa. Oh, right. It's a Celtic... It's the children of Dana, who is a Celtic goddess. But, yeah. That's also elves, by the way. A- anyways. Uh, Elvis? Elves. Elves. That is... Or, you know, she, if you want to get all fancy and Celtic. Uh, but, yeah. That's neither here nor Full Metal Panic. Meanwhile, I'll give it lots and lots of hidden black boxes worth of awesome. Because, deep within... The horde husk that is Gonzo animation still is a gem of something that should not exist. <laughs> a good show made by God that was animated by Gonzo. Yeah, that's just how awesome Full Metal Panic is. It really is. It really goes beyond, like you know, the it goes beyond the, the Call of Duty to be awesome, even though it's made, it was done by it was animated by Gonzo. Yeah, just to pull itself out of the normal mediocrity of Gonzo's adaptations. And still manages to kick ass and take names. Even if it does have a random stint in the desert that wasn't supposed to be there. Yeah, that comes somewhere else in the books, or not at all, I'm not sure. I haven't seen that far. They haven't released that much in the U.S. yet. Now, um, because ADD put this out like years ago, it's still actually pretty easy to get the box out of it, and for pretty cheap. I mean, I got it from Deep Discount DVD just like, you know, maybe half a year ago. So it's not that hard to find still. And hey, you're sporting ADV, which is always a good thing, because yeah. Lord knows they need it. Yeah, yeah, poor bastard. You can also probably find the light novelizations, at least covering this part of the story fairly easily as well. It's true. I've seen them in, like, Barnes and Nobles and whatnot. I picked them up without really trying, uh, so, yeah. Although with Barnes and Nobles, occasionally not always caring quite so much anymore, it might... No. I'm sure Amazon's got it. Yeah, I'm sh- Amazon's great for books. I, I bet you can. I bet it's not that hard to track down and mm. find. No, I definitely recommend the original light novels as a because they're translating them in English. Hopefully, Tokyo Pop won't stop. How are uh, they? I like them. I I I've enjoyed the translated versions. Uh, so how many out are serious and how many out are the comedy? Uh, they've only been releasing the serious as far as I know. I. Th- mm. Don't know if they've released the fourth one yet. I th- they think they're up to three. Mm. Well, I, I kind of see that because for, at least before what Fumofu showed me was that you know, a lot of the really good comedy is visual. It really is. And and so I could see, you know, them. I'm wondering if the comedy, you know, books aren't quite as good as the serious stuff. It's a lot easier to do serious 
on how he does it. It may be harder to translate, too, because yeah. the Japanese love puns, and that won't make sense in English. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the reasons why when they did stuff like Shin-Chan, they had to completely rewrite it to make it work on American TV, just because the Japanese jokes just don't make sense to a lot of American people. No, you, you have to, like, work to understand Japanese humor, and at that point it may not be funny anymore. <laughs> but that said, you know, the actual humor in Full Metal Panic is pretty universal. It works no matter how... It's very visual, yeah. So perhaps, you know, one day we might see the, you know, the more comedic stuff, but you do get to see the comedic stuff in the, in the anime and the series, so it's pretty much win-win. Yeah, the novel, Sosuke's fun because you get to the internal monologue, and it sort of reminds me of Kion from Haruhi, actually, in a strange sort of way. But as an action hero... Yes. Interesting. I to check this out. <laughs> you should, should loan me these novels. I should. You should. But with that, we are out. Recommend you'll find it, or maybe my webcomic. You can, you can, and now when you can take it to a convention, you'd be like, You know, this mic's been rubbed on this guy's dick, <laughs> so maybe you should stop licking it. Okay, I'm gonna, I was <laughs> gonna, like, I was gonna leave this one, but you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep that there now for uh, <laughs> forever, forever, for proof. <laughs>